0: You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome! We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrgs.nl And now, let's get into the podcast.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Welcome to everybody also that is watching online. As many of you will know, my name is Sean, and I'm one of the members of the Crossroads teaching team. And it is my joy and privilege to continue with you today as we look at our series on missions. Missions is the calling on our lives to, empowered by the Holy Spirit, go out and make disciples of all nations, empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and share the good news of Jesus to those around us and also to the ends of the earth. And this year we've been doing that in two ways. Firstly, we've been inviting someone up on stage, someone that is active in the mission fields and that we as a Crossroads community support. We want to hear from them what it's like to be out there, what it's like to be the hands and feet of Jesus on the mission field. And the second thing we've been doing is we've been looking at some of the amazing stories, some of the amazing conversion stories that we find in the book of Acts. And so we're going to do the same thing today. And to kick us off, I'm going to invite on stage Doreen Asempana. Doreen, come up here. Let's give her a big hand, everyone. Why don't you stand there? Doreen is active on the mission field in Ghana with her husband, Gaspar, and their young children. And uh, Doreen, why don't you tell us something about yourselves, introduce uh, yourselves to us, and also tell us something about the organization that you guys are working for.
0: Sure, yeah. Good morning, my name is Doreen uh, Asampana, and I'm married to Gaspar. He's from Ghana. Together we have two small kids, Um, Isaiah, who's four years old, and Yael, who is two years old. And so we moved to the mission field um, to northern Ghana uh, last year in November. Um, We have been sent out through Kama uh, Kama Zending, uh, which globally is known as uh, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Um, And... We were part of Crossroads uh, from 2017 to 2020 while Gosper was studying at Tyndale in Um So there are many faces I still recognize from that time.
1: Great, great. And tell us, wh- what does your, your day look like? on it? Wh- What are the things that you guys are doing that you're, that you're active actively doing for Jesus there in Ghana?
0: Yeah, so um, we have a farming ministry. Um, So this is our first year as farmers ourselves. Uh, We have a small demonstration plot um, where we grow some maize and sorghum. Um, And we're training farmers uh, at the same time in a method called Foundations for Farming. Uh, We went to Zimbabwe to get trained in that ourselves earlier this year. And now we're teaching other farmers. Um, So we taught three or five this year And um, hoping to train about 300 something next year. Um, And then my husband also has gathered a small uh, group of uh, faithful believers um, that he's doing prayer and evangelism with.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. And so you guys have been there just over a year. How have you seen things change over that time? How have you seen God's hand working? in your lives, but also in the lives of the community that you're serving.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a year of just settling in. And so we've really seen God's hand in in really helping us to build a home there. Uh, again, we'd lived there before, but to do so again. Um, and also really in the farming ministry. Um, as I said, it was our first year as farmers. It was our first time as trainers. And we came back from Zimbabwe in April. Um, this was in Zimbabwe. Um, And we immediately trained those uh, five farmers. It was just the start of the farming season in Ghana. So it was either then or we would have to wait a year. And so I was really wondering how people would receive it because it's a very different uh, method from conventional agriculture. And it really is a tool also for discipleship Mm -hmm. and evangelism. It's based on biblical principles. So we're farming based on what we think how god would have wanted us to or how god wants us to farm and so um i was i was a little nervous before that first training to see how people would receive it Mm. and it was just so special it was we just really felt the holy spirit moving because the farmers just really got it and they were so enthusiastic and three of the five farmers actually implemented it this season and we're seeing their harvest grow and there, uh, thereby their ability to feed their own families and to, to have an income to send their kids to school and everything. So it's, um, yeah, it's very special.
1: Okay, so you're using the practical aspects of farming. This is how God wants us to do it. And that's the route that you're actually using to also win their hearts yes. for Jesus. That's amazing. And what are the things that we can pray for if we, if we uplift you and your family in prayer? What are the things that should be on our prayer list as we think of you guys in our prayers.
0: Yeah, well, th- first of all, thank you for your prayers and support. Um, it really, really, really helps us and enables us to do what we do. Um, when you pray for us, please pray for for farmers to not only see the agricultural peace, but also yeah. for God to really start working in their hearts that agriculture is just a channel to yeah. really um, show them the love of Jesus. Um and the second is that because we're growing so, so big and uh, I mean, the the ministry is, is expanding so fast, much faster than we thought, but we just let God lead and that's what he's doing. Uh, because of that, we will have to expand the team. Right. Uh, so when I get back to Ghana, we'll start hiring two new trainers and um, that would also be appreciated if you guys want to pray for, yeah, just really faithful believers who will help us to do this
1: work. Finding the right people. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for everything you guys do. Thank you for being willing to move your lives across there. I guess it's where your husband comes from, so maybe that was a little bit easier, (laughs) but still. Um, And thank you for being an example to all of us, what it's like to be busy out there on the mission field. I I just want to take a moment, everyone, to to pray for Doreen and her family. And if you want to join me in this, feel free to extend a blessing by reaching out your hands. Let us pray. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, thank you for Doreen and Gosper. Thank you that they were willing to say yes to your calling on their lives. Thank you that they were willing to move their lives, their purpose And their mission to Ghana. And Lord Jesus, as we have this month, these last months been looking at how the Holy Spirit works through us to do the immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, we want to ask that your power, your transformative power, also be released through them, through the work that they are doing there in Ghana, let your Holy Spirit take place within their hearts. When they feel lost, when they feel like they need guidance, teach them, lead them, guide them. When they feel confused or maybe even afraid sometimes, give them comfort. When things get chaotic, calm their hearts And when things seem difficult or maybe even impossible, encourage and empower them. Because we know, Lord Jesus, that in your name, through you, all things are possible. We ask for your blessing, Lord Jesus, over Doreen, over Gaspar, over their kids, and over their missional work on the fields in Ghana. We ask this all in your beautiful and powerful name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Let's give her a warm round of applause. Okay, let's turn to the book of Acts. Before I start looking at our story of today, let me just remind you why it is important that we look at these stories. We need to bear in mind that when we read these stories from the book of Acts, the words that we read depict the actual events of disciples of Jesus that are fresh from hearing from Jesus himself the great commission to go out and make disciples of all nations. When we read these stories, we read how they did it. We read their success formula, and sometimes we read a little bit about the things that made it hard, the stumbling blocks, as it were. Friends, if we are serious about our roles on the mission field, we need to read and study and understand these stories from that perspective. So what have we learned so far? We've had four sermons so far, looking at these conversion stories. The first one was the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. A completely unexpected set of events. Unexpected in terms of what happened, who it happened to, and the way in which it happened. And that taught us that God really does work in miraculous ways, unexpected ways doing the immeasurably more in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. It also taught us that despite someone's track record, despite the horrible things that they've gotten up to, look at Saul, God has a purpose for everyone. That was the second thing. And the third thing we learned from looking at the story of Saul is that our God works in mysterious ways, sometimes having to break away the old. You might call them the barriers that stand in our way, accepting Jesus into our lives, breaking away the old so that he can build up and establish the new. That was the first sermon. The second one was Stephen. He taught us about the conversion of the jailer, the man who was charged with looking after Paul and Silas when they found themselves in prison and when there was this earthquake that burst open the prison cells. And Stefan Stefan spoke to us about how pride can stand in the way of us saying, yes, Lord, I trust you in my life. That was the second sermon. Then Anton Anton had two Sundays in a row. The first one, he spoke to us about Simon the Magician. He impressed everyone with his tricks. He thought he could buy his way into heaven, whereas the thing he actually needed to do was to repent. And I loved the way that Anton talked to us about repentance, the importance, the meaning of repentance, turning away from a focus on self, our own principles, our own guiding light, and turning our lives to the way, the authority of Jesus, his universe. That was the first Sunday that Anton preached, that is. And the second one, Anton spoke to us about the Egyptian eunuch, a man excluded from faith, at least. That's what we thought at the time. And how Anton spoke to us about even the Egyptian eunuch, Philip taught him was no longer excluded. That was the good news that Philip had to share with him. If we bring all of those Sundays together, we can say we looked at three things. The fact that God works miracles in our lives, immeasurably more, that was number one. The second thing we looked at were the barriers that sometimes stand in our way. Things like pride, things like money, things like focus on self and self-reliance. And the third thing that we started to look at was some of the good news stories, some of the good news that those early disciples had to share with those that were ready to listen. Things like, despite your track record, no one is excluded. God has a purpose for everyone. And through all of those stories, we saw the work of the Holy Spirit. We saw God come through on His promise, which is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you can be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's from Acts 1, chapter 8, or verse 8, I should say. And so today we're going to take the next step in our stories. We are going to look at, in particular, the good news that the Apostle Peter has to share with a group of willing and ready listeners. We are going to say, we are going to look at, what is the good news? How does the Apostle Peter share that good news? And what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Our story today takes us to Acts chapter 10 and 11. It's a long read, so I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to sort of paraphrase parts of the story. It involves a man called Cornelius. He is a centurion in the Italian regiment of the Roman army. He is based in a town called Caesarea, which is a sort of coastal town of Israel, north, northwest of Jerusalem. We are told in scripture that he is a good man. He prays regularly to the God of Israel and he gives to the poor. He is A believer in the God of Israel, but importantly, he has not yet heard the good news of Jesus. Our story continues with Cornelius. It says at three o'clock in the afternoon, Luke is always very specific with the details, Cornelius has a vision. He hears a voice come down from heaven, and this voice says to him, Cornelius, God has recognized your prayers. He has seen that you regularly give to the poor, and he has seen that you are respected by the Jews. But Cornelius, on its own, that is not yet enough. You need to send men to a place called Joppa, south of him, also on the coast of Israel. You need to send men to Joppa and bring, man, bring back a man called Peter, The Apostle Peter. He has a message for you through which you will be saved. Cornelius, eager to hear this message, sends three men down to Joppa to fetch Peter. We read then that the next day, the Apostle Peter, our next main character in the story, is up on a roof praying. He gets hungry. He falls into a sort of trance, and he too sees a vision, a sort of big sheet, blanket if you want, dropping down from heaven, and on that sheet are all kinds of wild animals, reptiles, and birds, and a voice says to Peter, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. He was hungry, remember? And Peter says, no, Lord. He's confused. This makes no sense to me. He says, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And then the voice says this to him. Do not call anything impure that the Lord has made. And that voice says it to him three times as if to really drive home this particular point. Peter awakens. He meets the three men sent by Cornelius. And together the next day... They travel back up to Caesarea, and Peter meets Cornelius, who by now has gathered a big group of people. And Peter says this. He says, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me, through the vision, that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. And Cornelius says to him, Peter, speak. We are ready. Cornelius says to him, Peter, God has intervened in your life. He has intervened in my life. He has shown both of us this incredible vision to make this moment happen. And we are here ready to hear what the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And now I'm going to read from Scripture. Because these words that I'm about to read, and they're really important, these are the words of the Apostle Peter, a cornerstone of the early Christian church. We know that Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and Pastor Paul has told us many times that when it came to writing stuff down, Luke was an absolute master of his craft. He chose words specifically, and the words that he chose here, and that's what we need to appreciate here. These words are about to describe the words that Peter spoke to give effect to the first ever conversion of a Gentile to Christianity. That is the story. Cornelius is seen as the first ever Gentile that was converted to Christianity, and these are the words that Peter used to convince him, him and his household. So let's read together. It's going to be up on screen. Acts Acts chapter 10, 34 to 48. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how we went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God... Was with him. We, that's Peter and his fellow disciples, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jews in other words, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I just want to quickly pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful passage of Scripture. Thank you for... Luke, who so diligently in these beautiful words recorded this truth for us. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that we now together can study your word. Speak to us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, I was telling Anton just before the service that I was on holiday and came back only on Monday, so I had a sort of a bit of a tight turnaround preparing the sermon but the one thing I was able to do during this holiday was to read this passage of Scripture over and over and over and to really let it speak to me, let really say to the Holy Spirit, okay, teach me what you want me to say when I speak about this passage. And I wanted to say these four things. The first thing, from the very first verse I read there, Peter says... I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears Him and does what is right. God does not show favoritism. We might sit here and think that that is a fairly obvious message, but I'm telling you at that time, that was definitely not the case. I suspect this was a pretty bold and radical statement. The Jews were the chosen people. There was a clear distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles, and they should not mix. Their faith, the faith of the Jews, that was reserved exclusively for them. We even read in Acts chapter 11 that the Jews challenged Peter. Why did you go and eat with them? Why did you mix with them? Why did you preach to them? God intervened in Peter's life with this vision. He said to him three times, nothing that I made is impure. As if to really drive home the point, we know that Peter could be stubborn at times. Three times, nothing that I made is impure. And so what Peter is proposing here is a new truth, a new reality. All people are equal. All people are chosen. There is no favoritism in the eyes of God. Now, I just said maybe we find that's obvious, but I wonder if it really is. Really? Are all people equal? Do we really see all people as equally favored or as equally chosen? All our lives we grow up making a distinction between those we like, those that are similar to us, and that those that we don't like, and those that are different from us. And it feels great to be part of that crowd, and not so great to be part of that crowd. Great to be included, but not so great to be excluded. Our daughter this week went to university for the first time, her introduction week. And she has to go there and meet new people make new friends, but worst of all, we think, is that in this current real estate climate, she has to go and find a place to live. The Dutch call it hospiteren, and it basically involves these young people, in this case, going to a new town, making new friends, meeting new people, and trying to get them to like you, accept you, so that they will invite you to come and stay in their place, their association house. You sort of go around to these different houses, these different associations. I can tell you my wife and I are completely stressed out. We find this a terrifying scenario. This poor kid, all teenagers, all young people, they're insecure enough about their identities and whether or not they belong, and now they need to go to this new place, this new town, meet new people, and be accepted. And yet, I suspect our secular world is full of selection processes, full of interviews, full of discrimination, getting into school, being selected for a sports team, being part of the in crowd, getting a job, getting into university in some places. And oftentimes, these selection processes are made on the basis of some snapshot overview, a quick read of your CV, a quick introduction, quickly looking at what you can and can't do. Our secular world is full of that. And yet, when we look at the message that Peter is sharing here with Cornelius and his household, he is proposing a completely counter-cultural reality. What this passage is telling us, and I want to emphasize it again, is that when it comes to God, there is no selection process. There is no interview, and there is no discrimination. That applies to God and and His acceptance of all of us, and by extension, that applies to our faith and to this church. The doors of this church and the arms of this community should be open to all people your race, your language, your gender, your education, your skills, your sexuality, your culture, your social status, or any other factor through which we as humans like to put people in boxes, in categories, in, I like you, but I don't like you. You are welcome, but you are not welcome. What Peter is telling us, is a completely different reality. In the eyes of God, there are no favorites. There are no chosen people. All that accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you're welcome. That is the first part of the good news of Jesus that Peter is sharing here with this group of people. That was number one. Number two. The second thing I notice when I look at this passage is that when it comes to the substance of the message, it is all about Jesus. Jesus was anointed by God. Jesus went around doing good and healing people because God Was with him. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again. Jesus commanded his people, his disciples, to preach to the people, and crucially, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness in His name. It's Jesus, Jesus, and again, Jesus. And I think it's vital that we see and understand this. You see, we've read Cornelius was already a good man. He already regularly prayed. He already regularly gave to the poor. But we read here in Scripture that he still must receive a message through which he will be saved. In other words, Cornelius, you're not yet saved. And I think we need to bear that in mind for our own lives and also when we are out there on the ministry field, on the mission field. Why? Because it means there really is a difference between our secular morality of just being a good person. We often get that question right. Isn't it just enough to be a good person? There is a difference between that and between being a follower of Jesus. It also means that even though I can impress people or feel good about myself, For the good things that I do, even though I can be impressed by the good things that other people do, what this passage is telling us is that that on its own is not enough. In a sense, that needs to be stripped away and we need to ask but one question. Have you heard the message about Jesus and have you accepted him as your Lord And Savior. Folks, when we are out there on the mission field, the message is Jesus. That is the truth. That is what we are sharing. Make people, help people fall in love with Jesus, your Savior, and the rest will follow. That's the second thing I take from this passage. The third thing I noticed was this. I love how Peter speaks from his own perspective. He makes a real point of saying, we saw this, we saw that, we ate and drank with Jesus. He wants to give credibility. He wants to give extra power to the story that he is telling, to the truth that he is sharing by saying, and this I saw With my own eyes. Friends, a few weeks ago when I preached about the conversion of Saul, I challenged you at the end of the sermon to think of your own road to Damascus stories. I challenged you to have those ready so that when you speak to people, you can use those, you can add those into the story to add conviction to what you are preaching, to what you are sharing. Because if you think about this from the perspective of someone who is not yet a believer, someone like Cornelius who has not yet been saved, what then gives more credibility to the revelation of the healing power of our Father in heaven? Is it me reading to you only some scripture passage about God raising or Jesus raising someone from the dead or healing the blind man? Or do I add power to that story when I share with you my own testimony? When I share with you the story about my friend who was pregnant with their daughter, who was told by the doctors, this is not really a pregnancy that's going to make it to the end. And even if this child is born, probably she won't survive the birth. If I tell you that that child was born, yes, had some issues, but that child recently uh, celebrated her 18th birthday. The miracle of the healing power of Jesus in those people's lives, that adds credibility, that adds power to that story. What about when I share with you the good news of the way the Holy Spirit comforts us? Maybe I can read to you Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But what if I add to that? What if I add to that the story about my life? The time when I was desperate, anxious, lost. The time when I fell on my knees and said, God, I can't do this on my own anymore. And the time when I literally physically felt that anxiety, and I, I get sort of goosebumps when I talk about it again. I, I felt that anxiety just, boom, drop out of me. And I got up and I thought, okay, I'm ready to go. Jesus is with me. The Holy Spirit sits inside of me, and I am, I am empowered, I am comforted by knowing that he is with me. Friends, my point is this. When we talk to non-believers about the transformative power of accepting Jesus into our lives, make it personal. Make it real. Be a little bit vulnerable from time to time. Help add to the story, to the message that you are sharing by following the example of Peter. This happened in my life. I am a first-hand witness of seeing how Jesus worked in my life. So you better believe it's true. That's the third thing I see from this passage. And the last thing is this. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. In the series before this, we looked at the role, the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Pastor Paul said, let this not be the end of the conversation. Let this be a repeating conversation. Let this just be the start of us talking about the Holy Spirit and I think that is true when it comes to us being on the mission field as well. The understanding of the Holy Spirit, its role in our lives, is a crucial piece of the good news that we share about Jesus. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are no longer alone. From that moment on, we have our own personal source of power living within us. We have our own personal comforter, prayer interpreter, guide teacher, Lord, and Savior living within us. And so when we speak about the good news about Jesus, we have to be bold enough to also talk about the miracle, the immeasurably more that happens when the Holy Spirit takes its place within us. That is the last piece of the good news that I take from this passage. What an incredibly beautiful passage. It teaches us four things. God shows no favorites. He shows no favoritism. When it comes to the message, it's Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. That is the good news. Number three, make it personal. Make it real. Be vulnerable. Follow the example of Peter. And lastly, be bold. Share about the good news of the Holy Spirit, how he lives within us, And through the Holy Spirit, we are empowered. We have His power to do in us the immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. What an incredible blueprint. What an incredible example we have through this passage of Scripture. This is how we go out onto the mission field and make disciples of all nations. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next.